Want to talk about a new movie? Check. Want to talk about an older movie similar or related to that new movie? Check. That's what you can expect from Quality Check Podcast. It's a new podcast on the Studio DNA Network hosted by yours truly, Drew Douglas and Daniel Posey. Every other Tuesday, we'll talk about a new movie and an old movie to see how the film's quality holds up. The show that brings you in where the magic happens. Welcome to The Writer's Room. Hello and welcome to Sif Pop Writer's Room. I'm your host, Aaron, but not that Aaron, of course. And today I'm joined by Sif Pop writer, Joe. Hi, everyone. We are at SifPop.com, providing you with movie reviews, best ever challenges, and other movie, interesting movie-related articles. So make sure you check out the website, SifPop.com, to keep up with those. Uh, on today's show, we'll talk about a coming attraction. We're going to give our thoughts on a movie that's coming out soon. This week is uh, the new movie, Jiu-Jitsu, which, yes, I also never heard of this movie until like three weeks ago. And uh, then we're going to, when we're done talking about jujitsu, we're going to move on to the SIF topic, which of course, because the third week of the month, we're going to be talking about TV catch up. So catching up on what we're watching on the streaming services, on the, you know, the, the small screen stuff we're watching at home, uh, any, any of that kind of stuff. Uh, we'll talk about uh, a B plot after that, which is a question uh, kind of derived from something that uh, Joseph asked. When we're done with that, we're going to move on to spinoff quick recommend award from each one of us and we'll wrap up. But uh, first things first, let's get a chance to know our writer this week. Joe, um, when did you realize that you had a passion for movies? I grew up watching movies pretty much all my life, probably watching a lot of films I shouldn't have been watching uh, at a certain age. Uh, an earlier an earlier memory would be watching Robocop in theaters when I was four. So nice. Films have always been like a huge part of my life, and I've always liked dis- dissecting films, um, especially rather recently. So yeah, that's how I got into films. Cool. Yeah, I I think I have a pretty similar experience with that too, you know, watching movies that I probably wasn't old enough to be watching. Like I have vivid memories of watching Stripes when I was in like elementary school. (laughs) Well, and to some degree, like, you know, an eight year old doesn't really know what's going on, doesn't really process some of those things. But, you know, at the same time, I think like the original Men in Black is one of the raunchiest movies ever made, (laughs) like watching it now. Yeah, when you watch it, it's, it's like some of the stuff you just go like way over somebody's head. Exactly. And I, I used to watch that a ton as a kid. So, um, but for some reason, when I was in middle school, I was watching the 40 year old virgin with my brother and my dad at one point. And my brother walked out of the room cause he was bored. And my dad's like, yeah, you probably don't need to be watching this either. And I'm like, this is where we draw the line. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so what's your favorite movie then? And why? Uh, favorite movie of all time has to be the Shawshank Redemption. Uh, okay. It just really just has everything in it. Has a great uh, top-notch performance by Tim Robbins. Some of the best narration I've ever heard in my life by Morgan Freeman. I mean, that pretty much cemented him as like the go-to for doing a voiceover. And just overall, kind of the ebbs and flows and pacing of the film is just it's just terrific. It's like perfect for me. Sure. Yeah. For the longest time, I like many people said Shawshank, uh, and I think Shawshank is the best movie ever. Ever. Uh, but it's, it's number three for me now. And, you know, podcast listener has heard this so many times, but my favorite movie is the nice guys just cause it's, it's just so fun. It's so watchable. I talked about it on Robert's podcast, um, last week. So you can check out Robert's podcast to hear me giggle for about 20 minutes straight as we talked about the nice guys. Uh, <laughs> so how did you get involved in writing for Sif Pop? Uh, it's kind of a funny story. Actually, I found Blake on IG and he would toss out his reviews every so often. 
And since I followed just different uh, movie sites and movie channels, I just came across his. And I, I wouldn't say he had hot takes on things, but he, he kind of did. And maybe kind of somewhat conflicted with the way I feel about certain films. Um, so we would have like kind of gentle jabbing back and forth about like why certain films were were good or bad or you know otherwise and uh out of the, out of that we kind of had like a mutual respect for uh one another and he pinged me one day and he's like hey uh would you like to like write for this website that uh, that i'm part of sip pop i was like sure this sounds like a like a great opportunity and i just love kind of dissecting and talking about films um especially at that time like i was just super into it so yeah that's uh that's how I got into writing for uh, Sifop. I think I've been writing for close to two years now, or almost. They're approaching that that uh, that mark. Man, happy anniversary then! Yeah, yeah. Uh, Blake's the reason why a lot of us got involved writing. Uh, it's really cool to just hear how people got connected. It's it's just really cool hearing that. And of course, you know, since you're mentioning Blake and his and his hot takes, you know, we got to mention how like three four weeks ago he said that Fargo is a terrible movie. And uh, <laughs> I saw that. And I was like, no, Fargo is amazing. I've been giving him so much crap like on the show, which, you know, if he's listening, he probably just like shakes his head every time. And, uh, you know, man, what a bad hot take. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's what's great about film though, right? Like everyone has like a different take on something or everyone has a different perspective. Right. Yeah, and if, I know, have to, I have to strongly disagree with, with uh, the Fargo thing though. So <laughs> well, like, you know, I still love the guy. I still respect him and all that. I just, you know, don't take his word on Coen brothers movies. <laughs> So I have one silly question, completely non-movie related, just to kind of get one last uh, one last glimpse to get a little bit of, to realize about who you are. And uh, the question I want to ask you is, what is the best type of cheese? The best type of cheese? Oh, man, that's a, that's a loaded question. Uh, this would be even a worse question if you were uh, lactose intolerant or yeah. had a dairy allergy. That would be very awkward then. Uh, I would say Gouda, like a good smoked Gouda. Okay. Is, sure. uh, is great. Maybe a monster cheese if you're having a sandwich. But as far as just eating cheese, probably Gouda. Okay. If yeah, if I'm going to sandwich, I'm going to Swiss. But uh, but yeah, I mean Gouda is excellent. And if if we're just talking just cheese in general, I'm going with uh, fresh mozzarella. Oh, uh, you know what? I, that is. I don't even know why that even come to mind. That's a good <laughs> go to. Also, I just love cheese. Well, because yeah. like the question is, what's the best type of cheese? Not like sandwich cheese. And so like that's true. I mean, I gotta I gotta make a quick plug here. I did. Uh, uh, I've I've made once. I'm going to make this weekend um, a mac and cheese from uh, Babish's YouTube channel, Bidging with Babish. Like I'm telling you, this thing is so you make like a casserole dish full of cheese, and you make one pound of pasta noodles. And for every pound of pasta noodles you make, you make a you shred a pound and a half of cheese. Oh, this <laughs> so, sounds amazing. And so, <laughs> so it's not even like just your regulars. Like, there's no American cheese of it at all. Um, so I I bought the ingredients uh, yesterday. I was a math problem because I'm you know bought ingredients for 50 people to share in a thanksgiving meal <laughs> uh, i bought it, it's a you use um sharp white cheddar aged parmesan fresh mozzarella pearls and then uh gruyere which i'd never had and gruyere surprisingly really good and um uh fontaine or yeah fontaine something like that so you combine like all of those cheeses and oof that was a good mac and cheese uh this sounds amazing it just makes me want uh, charcuterie now have some nice it'll, sliced up cheese and beet. <laughs> I mean, it'll take some time to get to, but like to make it, but it's worth it. If you're ever trying to make a new mac and cheese, just go to Babish's YouTube channel. But <laughs> yeah, I might have to do that. 
Well, on cheese, on that note, uh, let's talk about jujitsu. <laughs> That's a good segue. <laughs> oh, yeah. Jiu-Jitsu is a movie that is, I, I want to say it's coming out in theaters this uh, this this week. That I don't see any reason why it's coming out on VOD. That's supposed to be coming out here November uh, 20th. So, yeah. Um, this yeah, week. I think it is. I saw some showtimes when it popped up when we were doing some research on it. Okay. I just you never know with movies nowadays. But yeah, this is a this is a new movie that's apparently coming out. Uh and the synopsis here according to IB, I kid you not, is a new sci-fi martial arts franchise from Dimitri Logothetis, a director producer of Kickbox Retaliation, which first of all, I mean that's not a synopsis. And <laughs> second of all, if Kickboxer Retaliation is your main selling point. <laughs> Then you got some marketing issues, but yeah, it's not looking <laughs> Joe, good. Joe, we took a look at this. We took a look at the trailer. Some other stuff coming on. Uh, what do you think about this movie? If if there was no COVID in the world, we got to add that caveat since this is going to be a theatrical release. Um, how when how excited are you for this movie? Would you go opening night? Uh, would you wait for a matinee, save a couple bucks? Would you wait? to rent this save a couple more bucks wait till it's on a streaming service you already pay for are you just not interested in watching this movie uh it would be a never watch for me i'm just not interested in this movie it's just not my caliber of type of martial arts film i feel like the the genre has evolved uh okay so yeah i'm just not not really feeling what i saw in that trailer that's fair um I'm, i'm gonna be slightly higher than you on this and i'm gonna go with the streaming service i already pay for uh and there is a two reasons for that one is uh i mean nicholas cage <laughs> and, <laughs> and along with Nicolas Cage, I, I mean, this is a this is a full on Nicolas Cage movie. Like, this is one of those like new age. You know, he's got a beard and long hair, and he just you know <laughs> looks. He looks like twenty twenty Nicolas Cage, and uh, and this looks like just silly enough to like maybe be like that intentionally silly that I would consider checking it out. If on one of those random nights that, you know, I'm bored or have a couple friends over, maybe have a couple drinks, like <laughs> this would be a good time. I think, you know, cause I feel like there's a certain level of this that is like, well, this movie's bad, right? <laughs> Based yeah, off of yeah. everything I've seen, this is not going to be good. Yeah. Let's, let's toss it out there right now. It's just, it's not going to be a good film. It might be a good time. Like you said, if a few drinks might be pretty good. Well, that's what I was saying. Like, this is no, this doesn't look like a good movie, but this looks like a watchable movie. Yeah, I've definitely seen worse movies during uh, COVID. So, yeah, uh, but at the same time, I just I don't want to throw any money this movie's way. You know, if Netflix want to throw money their way, and you know, it gets on Netflix, and yeah, you know, I I might check this out. Yeah, you so, you might be convinced convince me to watch this. You know, about six beers in, and I might <laughs> right, give it a watch. <laughs> only six. Only six. Uh, no more no less no more no less it's gonna take at least six let's get into specifics you want to start with positives or negatives yeah start with the positives uh the cast looks great to be honest um it's got everybody from tony jaw to uh, frank grillo which i love frank grillo just about anything i see him and i have to watch it even if it's bad so i mean you it might be able to twist my arm into watching on a streaming service just for him uh because i saw his other movie on netflix with uh um, with Anthony Maggie, and they were good in it, but the movie was just terrible. I don't um, remember that movie. I forgot what it was called, but it wasn't very memorable besides those two. Um, and of course, Nicolas Cage. I love Nicolas Cage. But the thing about Nicolas Cage, for every Mandy, you get about six of these films. So 
uh, <laughs> that's how I kind of feel about it um, as far as positives go. Um, negatives, it just looks like a plain ripoff of any type of sci-fi type of Predator-esque type film. Barry, like almost bordering on parody. The special effects look bad. Direction didn't seem great from what we saw in the trailer. But yeah, that's kind of my thoughts on it. Uh, like, how, how did you how do you overall feel about it? Well, I'm trying to figure out what this Frank Grillo, Nicholas, uh, Frank Grillo, Anthony Mackie movie could be. When did this come out? I think it came out last year. Okay. Uh, it was uh, it was on Netflix. Uh, let's see. Point Blank, Hell on the Border. Uh, I think it was Point Blank. Point Blank. He plays a guy named Abe, but that already sounds... Yep, Point Blank. <laughs> in, in ER notes, the career criminal are forced into an unlikely partnership into taking down a ring of corrupt cops, threatening the lives of both their families. All right. It's very you know, 90s. And like all the, right. The, the worst way possible. It's great. Gross. Yeah. I want to echo what you said about the positives for this, the cast. I mean, so we mentioned Frank Grillo. We mentioned Nicolas Cage. We mentioned Tony Ja, And there's also Rick Unions in this um, I don't really recognize any of the other names, but Rick Yoon, of course, of Die Another Day and Fast and Furious and Olympus, Olympus Has Fallen fame, uh, Alita Battle Angel, uh, Prison Break. Lots of, lots of, man, I like me some Rick Yoon. I, I do too. I, I liked his uh, small cameo role in um, Alita. Yeah, man, uh, he's he's an excellent villain in Olympus Has Fallen. Yeah, that's, uh, that's one positive I want to say. The other one is that... So based off the trailer, this doesn't look like it's going to be knock your socks off like John Wick, Atomic Blonde, anything that's really going to make you go like, all right, like The Raid, this isn't going to be that. But this still looks like it's going to be kind of fun because like I said, it looks like they're kind of leaning into the ridiculous and maybe just trying to have some fun with it. And that's really where I come into this because there's also some comedy lines in here that... I don't know if they're intended to be comedy or I don't know if they're intended to be, you know, just just ridiculous enough. But the idea, like some of these lines, like <laughs> I was watching the trailer while you were um, like watching me watch the trailer. And there's a <laughs> the very end of this trailer. Nicholas Cage just goes like, oh, I could fly. And it's <laughs> like, <laughs> that sounds like a movie that I am. <laughs> I am interested in seeing. And yeah, I'll defend Nick Cage because, I mean, this is, I've ripped on him a lot so far because it's easy to because, you know, he has stuff out there like National Treasure 2 and Next and, I mean, virtually anything since Kick-Ass. But but he's also got like Face Off, which is, I think, his best movie. And, I mean, let's not be mistaken. This is Oscar winning Nicolas Cage right (laughs) Uh, yeah, this is best actor in a leading role for leaving Las Vegas. I mean, come on, this is Oscar-winning Nicholas <laughs> Cage uh, adaptation. He's great in adaptation. That's uh, The Rock. I love The Rock. That's that's pretty good. But yeah, the last movie I saw that he was in. Well, first of all, the last movie that I saw that he was. Oh, he's into the Spider Verse. He's great in that. And he plays yeah. Superman in, in Teen Titans Go to the movies. Yeah, that's what, for, yeah. He does great voiceover work too. So, so the best live, uh, the the last live action Nick Cage movie I've seen has been, and I kind of wanted to see Army of One, but I didn't just because that looked like just dumb fun. <laughs> uh, man, Ghost Rider: Spirit of Vengeance, and that's the last live action Nick Cage I've seen. And oh wow, that's the last one you've seen. Big oof there. Yeah, it's not a good movie. No, that's borderline the worst movie I've ever seen. Uh, it manages to be worse than the first film, and the first film is uh, is not too great either. So yeah, well, the year before that, he did uh, Kick Ass. So if if not then that, but the last you know, the last movie I enjoyed from him was Kick Ass, and before that would be Lord of War because that came out the year after National Treasure. And that's a pretty okay movie. So yeah, it's it's pretty solid. Got some good uh, performances in it. Nice pacing to it. 
So yeah, so we got Oscar winning Nick Cage here, and we got uh, Oscar winning actor Nick Cage here, and we got. Uh, <laughs> it's just one of those things you got to mention every time, like like Suicide Squad, Oscar winning Suicide Squad. Exactly. Uh, yeah, I mean, to me that ends at the positives. It just this movie looks like just enough dumb fun, like it has enough of the dumb, and enough of the fun, but it doesn't. It looks like it's just going to go hard into both of them. So this yeah. this feels like a movie I would give like a you know three and a half on Letterbox because like it's bad, but I really loved watching. <laughs> yeah, just one of those '90s kind of action flicks that you just can't get enough of, just because it's so full of cheese. Right, right. <laughs> uh, you know, and I'm not even a huge fan of Con Air, like. So this oh, I love Conair. I think Conair's okay, but this, you know, this, even to Conair has a certain amount of like it's straight cheese, ridiculous. It's 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 about the most '90s that I feel an '80s movie can get, even though it's in the '90s. Like it just feels like it feels like a late '80s movie. It feels like a late '80s movie that <laughs> that goes super hard in the '90s. It, anyway, <laughs> back to Dujitsu. Uh, I don't have any other positives to say. Like I said, this looks just enough fun. And, you know, I've said on the show before, it's going to be very hard for me to be in this never watch category because, you know, to some degree, there's got to be at least a little something worth watching in every movie, right? And, um, you know, even some of those that are terrible. Like, I mean, The Room is a really fun movie to watch. Maybe this will be the next The Room or Birdemic or something like that. Let's uh, let's let's dig into it. How, where do you want to start with the bad? Oh, I thought I went into the bad already. <laughs> uh, I mean, Dude, do you want some, do you want some I more mean, unofficially, but yeah, what's what's the next note you want to make about the bad? It teeters that territory of just being such a carbon copy of so many other things that I've seen before, like Aliens, Predator, and I've already seen a bad Predator movie in The Predator, so it's like I don't need to go any further into that. Poor one, and, uh, the Predator, Predator franchise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a wrap. They should just stop now. That, that film's terrible. Yeah, I kind of want to keep my good memories of Nicolas Cage's last good performance, in my opinion, in, in Mandy, which I thought he was terrific in and was my favorite film of that year when it, when it was released. Um, so I, I'll stay far away from this film uh, just so that is untarnished. <laughs> but yeah, okay. I did, but like you said, uh, it could be a fun time. It could be, you know, ironically, you know, good because it's just so bad it's good. Um, that's like the best you could hope for this type of movie. <laughs> I mean, here's the deal. No serious movie is going to hire Nick Cage anymore, right? Like, not in the last five years. Not really since, like, Knowing and The Wicker Man and Max, kind of that big just clump of stupid. People don't really hire... People hire him for stuff like Left Behind and, you know, this stuff now, right? <laughs> Nobody hires him expecting to make, like, an Oscar-winning excellent movie. Well, like 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 I said, with, with Mandy, it's kind of more of, like, a horror art house film. Like... Every now and then he'll t- like somebody will toss him a project that's just like, oh wow, that was like really good. But like I said, for that one good movie, you'll have about six or seven projects where you're just like, all right, he's just paying the bills. But he's also having fun at the same time, and he just loves to act and he loves films. So uh, yeah. all the power to him. Whatever he wants to do with his career, that's his career. Well, and if he wants, to, <laughs> and if he wants to make six movies a year and all of them be you know straight to video and not make much money, but he gets a paycheck, like good on him, right? Yeah. Yeah, like, I'd love to have that kind of status where I could be an Oscar winner and just do <laughs> the stupidest things. Because, all right, here's 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 a question I want to ask before diving into some, some of my my bads. When is Nicolas Cage going to have like a Michael Keaton, Robert De Niro renaissance? When is that going to be for him? Because like he's very clearly not made good movies for a while, and there was a point where De Niro was the same way. 
And there was a point where Michael Keaton was not making really anything. And then all of a sudden, I mean, he had back to back like uh, Birdman, Spider-Man Homecoming, The Founder. Like he's on a roll. Like this is the Keaton renaissance. So when is when when is the Nick Cage renaissance going to be? Well, from the looks of this trailer, not anytime soon. But uh, <laughs> it's not going to get kicked off with this one. If anything, Larry's, like I, I hate to keep plugging Mandy so much, but that would have been a kickoff point for him. But the thing is, it's, it's kind of such a niche film and kind of divisive amongst a lot of people that it would be hard-pressed to be something like Birdman or something like The Founder, which is kind of like most people would agree are, are, are largely acceptable and like good, like good to great films. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It would have to be something within that that caliber that just has like broad mass appeal. But he, like you said, he doesn't really dabble in those films nowadays unless he's doing his voiceover work. Yeah, I'm, I'm just wondering when that next, like, you know, when his Birdman or his, uh, like, Uncut Gems or something like that, when it, when is his turn <laughs> going to be, like, the everybody's like, holy cow, I forgot he had this in him. Like, you know, when, when is there going to be that for, for Nick Cage? You know, I, I hope it comes and just, like, throws everybody off. Like, <laughs> yeah, but maybe, maybe the Safties will, will call him and, you know, they'll, 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 not, they'll you know, put together a project and it'll knock it out of the park. All right. I'm making the timestamp. Uh, so that way when, when they get uh, Nicholas Cage cast in the Zafty brothers movie, we get a producer credit. <laughs> I'm telling you like every single film they've made so far has been like terrific. Like people like Robert Pattinson, he's such a bad performer. It's like, no, that movie made him like completely stand out, like really showcased what his talents were like. Well, he's a good performer now. I mean, he's great in Tenet. He's great in the devil all the time. He's a good performer. I think he just, you know, had to unfortunately go through the twilight phase but i haven't i didn't like uncut gems and i good time is on my list to see but okay yeah i mean i I get it it's really it's really not for it's not for everybody for sure and it's very i'm I'm considering picking up uncut gems for the uh black friday because the blu-ray is like six bucks i'm like "Mm, i might have to pick that up Uh, the other things really the only i have three things about this uh so the writer one of the writers jim mcgrath um kickboxer retaliation and Air America and Simon and Simon and like this is a lot of TV stuff and a lot of like you know early 90s early 2000s stuff this guy hasn't worked a lot uh and uh Dimitri Logothi the guy who's the director he's also a writer um let's see we got uh kickboxer retaliation kickboxer uh Vengeance, excuse me. Uh, it looks like he didn't direct Vengeance. He did direct Retaliation. He produced Vengeance. Wings of a Dragon, The Lost Angel, Codename Eternity, More Air America, The New Adventures of Robin Hood. Neither of these two guys have anything on their resume, and they've been in the industry for a while. You'd think that they would have something in there that would be like, yeah, all right. Um, and the other part, this, I'm not a big fan of like Kung Fu um jujitsu martial arts any of that kind of stuff i mean i i love um i love the yip man franchise and i love uh the raid movies like i'm just not interested in these um it's just not my type of thing so uh already genre is working against it and you put together a writer and a director that have been i mean very unsuccessful in hollywood uh, the best word to say would be like floundering. They're just <laughs> doing a whole lot of nothing. Sure. In the sure. Wheels. I'm done. Um, man, what do you have any other notes you want to say? 
Yeah, I mean, if, if I'm going to add another positive. I, I'm a I'm a huge fan of the martial arts genre. Have have been since I was a kid. Okay. Uh, and, and like you said, you already brought up some of the some of the better films. I love it, man. And the, and the thing is, the like like I said before, the genre has has evolved. Like you have to have story and characters. And this is just reeking of like late '80s, early '90s, which I'm just if I want to do that, I'll just revisit those films. Like I won't watch a new one that's like that. Sure. Um, well, <laughs> as our kind of, you know, last note, really, uh, I don't really like this genre, but um, I would you know, like to, right? I, I want to like good movies. And so if you're really into this, you know, I, you know I like Yip Man. You know, I love the Raid movies. Um, on, on my list, I have The Man from Nowhere and The Chaser. Oh, uh, Man from Nowhere is a terrific film. I've never seen it. So, like, I have it on my, you know, would like to. To, to see it and uh yeah like I said, the chaser i don't know if that's a action specifically i know it's south korean um do you have like one that you'd be like you should really watch this one oh uh, like you mentioned i think a good place to start is in the, the man from nowhere because it just has like great character development it has a, a nice plot um okay. the fight the fight scenes are great um but yeah, another film from Donnie and I would say Flashpoint, which is also kind of a criminal criminal martial arts film, but more on the kind of criminal kind of aspect of it. Okay, uh, that's also another, another great film to to, uh, to hit. I love me some Donnie Yen. Um, He's the best. I, I watched um, uh, I watched the original uh, the Infernal Affairs, the original oh, great. Departed, nice. and. Uh, that was really cool. Uh, obviously, the action scenes are done better than, you know, because Scorsese is very not action heavy. Some really cool action sequences in that. I, th- I think I like, I, I think, I know I like The Departed. Departed's a better movie than Infernal Affairs, but Infernal Affairs is still worth checking out. Still worth going to see. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm tapped out. Are you tapped out? Yeah, I think, I think I'm tapped out talking about this. Like I said, I was midway through the trailer and I was like, what is this? Like, I have no idea. Like, where am I? <laughs> well, <laughs> Lost you track know, of space and time. I've got I've got one one last note that I just now realized because I, I hand wrote it in as I was watching the trailer, and that is that uh, I feel like this my feelings on this movie gets progressively both better and worse simultaneously as I watch the trailer. <laughs> like I I had that feeling because I had that feeling of like I'm enjoying myself, but this looks incredibly stupid. So uh, <laughs> I I feel like that's about the best way to sum this up for me. So I um you know at a at a streaming service level i'm gonna stick there uh, i'm probably not gonna like seek this out but if i'm you know scrolling by and be like oh yeah i remember that looked like a lot of fun and it you know doesn't have a zero percent on rotten tomatoes then yeah maybe i'll give it a shot one night yeah you might be able to twist my arm like i said if i have a have a couple beers in me well just come to iowa <laughs> Tell you, what, you buy the you buy the plane ticket to iowa i'll buy the beer <laughs> and we'll watch jujitsu <laughs> Yeah, or we could just do it over Google Meet or one of the other. <laughs> we'll do a, watch, we'll do a watch party. <laughs> watch party. And all the Sif Pop writers doing a watch party. Doing a watch party. <laughs> Jiu-Jitsu. <laughs> nice. Man, I really want to make this happen now. <laughs> it, it sounds like a good time. Well, on that note, let's uh, let's move on to the Sif topic. We're going to be talking about TV this week. Been watching lots of TV. Uh, not quite as much as Alice because nobody watches as much TV as Alice. Where do we want to start? Uh, let's start. Let's start with this, uh, Joe. What uh, TV subscri- what subscriptions do you have to watch TV? Or do you are you still one of those people that pay for like cable or satellite or stuff like that? Like what? How do how do you access TV? 
Oh, I cut that cord a long time ago. Uh, that was just too expensive. But the funny thing is, there's so many streaming services that's almost just as expensive now. Um, <laughs> but to, to talk further about the ones that I have, I have just about everything under the sun. Um, I even had the WWE Network at one point in time. That's how many <laughs> streaming services I had. Uh, I have, you know, standard Netflix, Amazon, Hulu, uh, Crunchyroll, Disney Plus, of course. Got to have Disney Plus for uh, for a show I'm sure we're going to talk about later. More oh, yeah. The Mandalorian. Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's, it's like Mandalorian Plus, really, at this point in time for me. Um, but, but yeah, th- those are the uh, streaming services that, that I'm you know currently in or rolled in or, you know, paying for at this point in time. Do you uh, do you do HBO Max or Apple TV Plus? Uh, I don't. I kind of want to do HBO Max. Uh, there's a certain film coming up that I that I kind or or series coming up that I that I want to watch, and there's a couple other shows I want to watch, but uh, but mainly for the Snyder Cut for uh, for Got Justice it. League. Well, and you being a big you know animation fan, I mean they now have all the DC Universe stuff. That's all just been put there. So the Harley Quinn TV series. Like that's just an HBO Max now, so you know that's another perk to for, yeah, you, for you to really check that out. Yeah, I might have to delve in and check it out sometime. Here, here's what I'll say: I think if I think you know if you wait till January and you do it when you get your Snyder cut, then you know I feel like you're probably just not going to want to cancel it. So just be prepared for your budget <laughs> because I I really think that HBO is the best out there because it has just such a wide variety. I, I have HBO, Hulu, Amazon, Netflix, and Disney plus. So that's what I have. Uh, if I could only keep one, it'd be HBO. What about you? Uh, it's, uh, it's kind of, kind of rough. Cause uh, like I said, Mandalorian plus or Disney plus is, uh, is pretty good. Uh, I'd have to say Netflix because Netflix it's kind of rotating door of stuff and they kind of keep, they kind of hold on to some of their classics. Uh, That's fair. So I, I'd probably say Netflix. Okay. Uh, you know, no shame on whatever you want to pick. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I just find myself getting more and more frustrated with Netflix. Cause I think sometimes they produce some excellent original content and sometimes, and most of the times they just don't. And then they cancel the really good stuff. Like I was a big Santa Clarita diet fan and they canceled that for no reason. And, you know, all the Marvel stuff, the, the Daredevil and the Luke Cage and the, I mean, not Iron Fist, but I was big. <laughs> um, so, you know, I have I have enough issues with Netflix and like I love the first two seasons of the House of Cards, but I don't really like the rest of them. Man, Netflix is very hit or miss. Stuff is either excellent or just bad. So whereas I feel like I get pretty consistently amazing content on HBO. So that's why I picked that. But uh, let's stop talking about uh, what <laughs> we have and let's start talking about what we watch. So uh, what have you been watching? Uh, of course, uh, we already talked about uh, the Ma- the Mandalorian to start off. Well, with. Let, let's just take the time to do it. We've already hit, touched on it a couple of times. To put a warning out there, we're recording this before episode three of this season launches. I, f- I feel like let's not talk about any spoilers for season two. I feel like anything that happened in season one, we're good. We can talk about but anything in season two, so in case people are behind and keep in case people are waiting to binge, I feel like, you know, let's just, you can, we can talk about it, but no spoilers. Make oh, yeah. yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, so Mandalorian, um, uh, what are your thoughts on season two? What are my thoughts on season two? Yeah. Uh, no spoilers, right? So yeah, no spoilers. no spoilers. Uh, season two so far, I'm actually, I'm actually kind of loving it, um. Uh, to be as vague as possible, I kind of like how it's becoming more, I wouldn't say monster of the week in these, these two okay. first episodes and also kind of covering kind of being genre pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, and just overall, I feel like they were pouring more of a budget into this season because I feel like they kind of have carte blanche to do so since the first season was so successful. And I'm, I'm trying to be as vague as possible without really really hitting any type of spoilers. Well, anything that's been like revealed via trailers or anything like that, you can feel comfortable saying. Or I just yeah. feel like I feel like overall they've upped the ante as far as set pieces go. Um, of course, I'm still in love with one of my favorite podcasts uh, or one of my favorite shows I watch on YouTube. Uh, double toasted they call it mandy and the kid <laughs> to make it sound like more of a western and it's pretty much what it is i mean it's uh it's yeah. kind of a serialized western you kind of get your plot line you get an actor to come in who's recognizable and they're kind of like either the hero or villain of the week um that's kind of what i like about it uh, i will say that i think so far this is a really interesting show because it feels the same to me it, it doesn't feel like this was such a phenomenon and we got a bigger budget. I don't. I don't feel that. Um, or I don't feel like everybody's expecting this, and we're leaving. It feels like the same show. And I know that because leading up to season two, I rewatched season one. Uh, I'm that type of person. I, I know a lot of people like watch the same, like watch the episode three or four times before the next episode comes out. I'm not. Uh, which means that sometimes when a new season comes out, I need to rewatch, especially you know, eight episodes of The Mandalorian. That's easy to do. Uh, you know, it's not like a twenty-four episode season or something like that. But also, like my wife never saw it, and she's like, "I'll watch that with you." And I was like, "Cool." She didn't want to watch it with me when it aired, but she wants to watch it now. So, so we watched that, and uh, it it just feels like the same show. I mean, obviously, like some of the a lot of the plot lines haven't yet picked up from the beginning. Or from the end of season one, like there are at least three different three main characters that we haven't seen yet. I guess, I guess it's not a spoiler to say who we haven't seen. We haven't seen Cara Dune, the uh, Gina Carano character. We haven't seen Carl Weathers, and we haven't seen um, Breaking Bad. So, um, <laughs> Giancarlo uh, Esposito—that's his name. Yeah, Carlos um, Esposito. Yeah, we we haven't seen uh, any of those people yet, and so it, it still feels like the same same show. Despite that, though, I'm really happy though because I'm interested in exploring all the planets that Mando is, and and all the side stories. Like, I like how this is this this whole show is a slow burn. I like I like that how you could just have throwaway episodes as long as they're still going to be really excellent quality, like they are. I'm I'm here for it. I, I'm also just a big fan. I'm gonna. This isn't a spoiler because they announced it, but Timothy Oliphant is in the first episode. And I love him as an actor. I was talking about him with Ben last week, and he's underrated. I think he's he's, he's not one of those <laughs> kind of yes. He, he has gotten that recently because after Deadwood, then he did the Crazies and then Justified, and now he's mm-hmm. kind of solidified into that modern day cowboy. Uh, you know, and then he played yep. the same character in uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and frankly, he played <laughs> yeah. the same character in The Mandalorian. So <laughs> yeah. um, I I feel like. Uh, he's to me when I think of the greatest living actors, he's up there, and I just don't think that many people would put. That. I mean, he's not like top ten, but he's probably top fifty for me. I think he's charming. I think he's uh, got got good range. I think he uh, can carry a role really well. He can carry it with whatever the role needs to be. I mean, I'm a big fan of Justified, and I'm a big fan of the Crazies, and you know, I just, I, I really love this this actor. And so seeing him uh, was just heartwarming for me. So. Yeah. I like him in just about everything he's ever been in. Even, even in Hitman. like Hitman's not a good movie, but he's good in it. Like he's good yeah. in the role as Asia 47. I'd agree with and, that. 
He's great in comedic roles. We already mentioned that several times he's played a sheriff or a lawman. He, I mean, he's perfect for that. And that's why he yeah. keeps getting typecast or put in these roles. But I don't even, I don't see it as like a bad thing at all. Well, and, he... <laughs> and to me, he's the hero of Scream 2. He's the best, re- he's the best part of that movie. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So I'm enjoying season two a lot just as much. Are you kind of, do you not know, maybe a little less of season one, more? I mean, you, you you said it feels like it has a bigger budget. I do feel like it has a bigger budget with some of the set pieces, but I think overall what they're lacking, uh, this isn't really a spoiler, what they're lacking in plot at the moment, they're making up for in world building. Like their world building yeah. is better, in my opinion, than the whole new trilogy. And somebody, you people get at me for that, but... <laughs> No, I, I'm, a, I'm, a fan, I'm a fan of the Disney sequels, but I agree with you. And uh, the reason why you know, I'm a fan of the Disney sequels, except for uh, Rise of Skywalker, and I'm a big Last Jedi fan. Um, and I think Force Awakens is good, but kind of what you're talking about, I mean, they don't world build very much in that because they, especially the J.J. Abrams directed ones are so focused on going back to places and characters that we already know and love it's it's a revisitation. It's not an exploring a new thing, and that's part of the reason why I love the Last Jedi so much. New characters, new new planets to explore, uh, new character arcs. I, I I would agree with that though. What they're lacking in overall plot, they are making up really well with world building is is exceptional. And yeah, uh, what are your thoughts on season one overall? On season one, um, yeah, to me, nearly nearly perfect. Uh, if I had to rate it from a one to ten, probably like a nine five, like okay. super rewatchable i think i rewatched every single episode at least five or six times um okay if 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 we were having a, a visual on this podcast like i literally have mandalorian stuff like everywhere like <laughs> i have like baby yoda stuff all over the place uh the child stuff just everywhere no, um, no it's baby yoda <laughs> i try to call him the child just to you know just to just to be a fan but yeah he's he's a he's a baby yoda but yeah just in love with it because I, I love japanese filmmaking i love western uh, kind of flair to the filmmaking and it kind of like meshes those two worlds together so well like you have kind of like the wolf and cub aspect to it and mm-hmm. it's just hard not to like a gruff type of like tough guy take care of a little kid like that's just so heartwarming to see like that type of relationship and that bond yeah i i'm, l- I'm less high on it than you i think the whole series <laughs> is probably like an eight or eight and a half out of 10 um the, the, fir- the, the first season I, I really like it but i wouldn't put it in my top five favorite shows of last year because you know shows that came out in 2019 um i mean obviously Watchmen, and but also uh, i think westworld season three was excellent i think um that uh, what we do in the shadow season two was better than mandalorian season one uh, at least those three shows are better i think atypical season three i think three or four whichever season a typical came out i think was better than the mandalorian you know i i i honestly don't think mandalorian crap might crack the top five i will say i think it deserves the emmys it got um so, i mean i don't know i don't think it won the like best like show categories i think it won a lot of like technical achievements like especially like for like the score like that's definitely one of the things i noticed more prominently as i rewatch it is it's just excellent the music in the show is outstanding I mean, Ludwig Gordonson is like one of the best composers, film composers living today. Like he's just so on point with everything that he does from like the Creed films all the way to the Mandalorian and black, his black Panther score. I mean, he deserved that, that Oscar, like hands down. Okay. 
I'm going to, this is prompting me to ask an additional question during our B plot, but that's okay. Um, <laughs> yeah, no worries. Yeah, I, I, I really like this show we're watching. I'm going to, I'm going to move us on here uh, because we should talk about other shows. Uh, after I watched that, my wife is a really big fan of behind the scenes kind of stuff. And so we watched the Disney gallery Mandalorian. We are almost done with that. The last one we watched was uh, the process of making the episode. So I think we have one, maybe two episodes left. And I know Shane uh, really recommended uh, watching it way back in the day. And have you have you watched this? Well, the uh, the behind the scenes? The the Disney Gallery Mandalorian? Oh, yeah. I've been trying to catch up on all of them. My wife's not too big on like behind the scenes stuff, but I love that type of stuff. Uh, as far as like seeing like how certain aspects of, of, the, of the show or film are constructed. And I feel like Gallery really pushes and hits all those buttons for me. Sure. Um, it's just so well constructed and I love the whole round table type of setup. Um, yeah. I so when they talked about the first episode was the directors. I thought parts of that were here to miss. Um depending on the director and but I thought overall I liked it and then they talked about the cast and you know, I don't really think I cared much for that episode. I don't think I got anything out of it. But then man, the episode where they talk about the set and they build and I've heard it described two or three different times. There's, there's no way you could describe just how cool this is. Like, <laughs> and it also makes so much sense because they were able to keep the child a secret for so long because they film everything in a studio, even things that look, I swear, I swear they went to Australia, to Tunisia, to New Mexico to film these stuff. No, they, they filmed it in a set in Los Angeles. Yep. That's so I, I, I'm going to do my best to describe it in the way that they did. So, uh, in a way that makes sense if you haven't seen it, what they did for the Mandalorian is everything is shot on this set that is, it, it's a giant dome room. It's a giant circle room. And, uh, in the actual like filming part of this, of this dome room, they have a literally a, a wall of led TVs that are pristine, like don't have borders, all that. And they hired, um, uh, Epic games to design a pro program software for them using their unreal engine and they digitally recreate all of the backdrop in it and you just can't tell and so and it's it's entirely uh enveloping so they very rarely use blue screen or green screen because it's on the screen <laughs> yeah and uh and it's and it's completely encapsulating and then they have like you know um actual like props so like you know, they'll, they'll bring in a prop into it. But in, in this room is like massive too. It's not like somebody's garage. This is a big, big, big room. So um, yeah, imagine a dome that is screens and it's crazy. It's crazy cool. That that alone is worth at least watching that episode. Yeah, with that type of setup too, it just helps the actors get more immersed in what they're doing. Because yeah. it's got to be really distracting dealing with blue or green screen. And like really trying to like flex those acting muscles. <laughs> sure, sure. Uh, I'm gonna move us along here. I'm gonna do two things real quick. And I'm gonna toss it over to you. Uh, I have Batman the Animated Series written here. I've been talking about how me and my wife have been watching that because she's never seen it, and uh, <clears throat> I don't think I've actually watched any of the last month because we were watching a Mandalorian. So um, I don't think we've progressed at all that. And I'm gonna mention Fargo real quickly. I am so close to getting around to Fargo. Um, I still haven't watched it just yet. It's literally, it's been the next thing I've been trying to watch since like July, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I am, I, I have not watched it yet. Although I did make progress. The reason I'm mentioning it is because I did watch the movie because I heard it has connections to the movie. It's not a remake of the movie. 
Uh, and so watching the movie is, you know, helps. And so I rewatched the movie kind of preparing to dive into the show again. So I'm so close. I guarantee I'll have started by the next time I record. Uh, but I'm going to toss it to you. What's the next thing you want to talk about? I just recently wrapped up the haunting of blight manor, which, um, I was really infatuated with. And I actually feel like it was, uh, kind of more emotionally resonant than the first, uh, series was. Cause I guess okay. they're trying to turn this into an anthology. Um, yes. And this one, uh, I think what's going to throw off a lot of people, this is kind of more of a romance, kind of a gothic mm-hmm. romance, uh, mm-hmm. and less of a less of a horror uh, type of show. So uh, this may not be for everybody, but I just found it, it really resonated with me, and I, I really love the performances and, and the writing and the kind of slow burn aspects of it. I also watched this, and I was talking about this with Ben last week. He really wanted to hear my thoughts because I, I don't like horror stuff. I don't like The Conjuring um i don't i don't typically watch stuff i'm actually kind of a fan of the saw franchise um which is weird i love sinister i love alien i love the shining doctor sleep stuff like that um uh, <clears throat> i don't typically like horror so for 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 the past two years people have been saying how great the haunting of hill house is and i'm like yeah i just don't like horror though and I finally decided to get around to watching it because it's October. I'm doing the podcast. So I want some TV to be able to talk about. And gosh, the show is so good. It's it's really good. I, I'm not going to worry about spoilers because this show has been out for two years. Um, yeah. <laughs> I thought this was excellent. Like as perfect as a show could be. Uh, for a horror show and and there's there's several reasons for that first of all the characters are great the actors are great uh and the story is great all three of those boom uh but i think it's also really interesting the way that it chooses to narratively tell uh the story how it kind of goes and shows you each of the five kids i think also each of them representing a stage of of grief or of a yeah of grief is is on a different level of good and i think that um uh, just in general, the way that they carried out the show, which I knew like to what to look in the background because I've been constantly told about that. And yeah, looking in the background of the show really helps because you'll just randomly see ghosts, and you know it's it's just cool to see. It's creepy, uh, and and that's the other thing. Is this show is just creepy. Uh, there's only I think two jump scares in the whole first season. That's the kind of horror that if I'm gonna watch, I'm gonna like. Although I can't watch too much just because. I'm that type of person. The reason, part of the reason I don't watch horror is because stuff will stick with me, stuff will linger with me. And for the next several nights, it was really hard for me to sleep. I lost a lot of sleep because um, it's the imagery of the bent neck lady. Like I'm not actually scared of the bent neck lady. It's the imagery of the bent neck lady that keeps that kept me up at night. That's an excellent episode, but really the episode that's excellent, that's the best in this series, is the one right after that in the funeral called Two Storms, where it's like five one shots and it's actually one shots not disguised it's perfect <laughs> it's so good i was blown away and one of the really cool things too is like again if you watch the background you can see some really cool things and it's like the fact that these are still in one shots makes a world of difference because you know i, I could just imagine the people and crew like you know kind of being you know guiding people where to go because like a camera will make a 360 movement and in that movement you'll see you know like uh um nell got out of the coffin and then the bent neck lady was standing there and then all of a sudden um she had to move uh the camera did a rotation the next time it rotated she wasn't there anymore or like there's a shot where like everybody walks in to go see her body in the casket uh and you know everything looks all fine and then it turns and it shows the father and in the back of the room is the bent neck lady and you're just like (laughs) gosh uh, flanagan is on another level of horror i'll watch anything that he makes i 
probably won't watch really anything else. So um, I loved the Haunting Hill. So I, was, I thought this was excellent. I was, the Red Room stuff was really interesting as well. Um, I didn't like it at first, but I'm loving it as we're getting farther from it. And uh, and yeah, just kind of seeing how this was a psychological terror. You know, the ghosts aren't actually evil, but it's it's about what living in that kind of situation can do to somebody and this isn't like even like an amityville horror type of thing where somebody's like whispering in the ear like you should go kill your family like or shining type of thing you know where the bartender's like you know go kill your family i'll give you whiskey it's like just crazy yeah it's over just time dead. the soul becomes uh, twisted exactly right and i thought the ending was interesting too that whole with the caretakers and all that i thought that was really interesting and kind of sweet but also kind of reckless anyway um <laughs> Uh, I guess now that everybody really knows everything, there's nobody's going to be like itching to get back there and they can just kind of keep it. Anyway, uh, we can stop talking about Hill House because Haunting a Blind Manor, uh, I thought the show was okay. Uh, I was not quite as high as on ECU, but thankfully I watched the show, I watched the pilot one day, one night, a Friday night, and then I watched the rest of the series on a Saturday morning. <laughs> <laughs> The reason for that is because I'm such a scaredy cat. I just couldn't watch the show in the dark. And so I watched it. The first episode, it got dark. Stopped. Watched it the next morning. And I'm like, this isn't scary. I can keep going. And for the rest of the series, this isn't scary. I can keep going. And so I did okay with that show. Uh, but I binged it just because I I wanted I wanted to be done with horror stuff so I can get my mind back in a good place. And here we are two and a half weeks later and I'm finally there. Yeah, this is definitely gothic romance. This is like Crimson Peak kind of vibes. And I really like Crimson Peak. I was exactly going to say the same thing. I think it's exactly what happened with Crimson Peak. Like everyone's like, where's the horror at? It's like, it's like, no, it's not a ghost story. It's sure. a love story. Like it even spells it out for you. And I feel like this I is mean, very similar too. I, I feel like I've talked for too long. Um, you, you talk a little bit more about why you like this show so much. Oh, why I like Bly Manor. Um, like I said, the characters are just just emotionally resonant. And they spend a lot of, you spend a lot of time with these characters and kind of getting their inner workings and you kind of i wouldn't say live in their skin but you you everybody kind of has like a, a way to showcase uh what their character is going through and the trauma they've gone through and like you said i think more so in in uh in this in bly manor you get to see that these ghosts aren't evil they just have their own intentions and they have their own own wants and needs like any other living person would have and sometimes that has to deal with somebody dying or somebody being kind of being being taken off but yeah, just everything about it, uh, the, the 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 budding romance that that slowly develops is just terrific. The ending was very emotional. Uh, my wife and I were both crying at the end, and I mean, not not to say that in um, in in the, in the previous show that that wasn't the case because that also was a tearjerker at the end. Um, yeah. Also provided the scares at the same time, and, and and like you said, Mike Flanagan, even though he only directed the first episode of Bly Manor, it still kind of felt like he had his hands like somewhat on it. I, I didn't feel the same way. And that's part of the reason why I didn't like the show is because I noticed my guess is, well, this was filmed after Dr. Sleep was released. Um, and I don't know what Flanagan's working on next and, or if it's just, you know, a third season of the show, or I don't know if he has any movies planned or, or he's, anything. He's probably a busy guy at this point in time. He's really Pro high in demand. Probably. So my guess is he's like, all right, we did Hill house. I'm going to pass off some director duties and, you know, still kind of oversee the show, but while I'm, you know, getting pre-production on a movie going. This is my guess. I I did not feel that it was as cohesive as the first movie. Which I feel like the story itself was cohesive, but I, I definitely felt the lack of Flanagan in this. 
I think it had and, his had his overall. I, I'll say this had his overall aesthetic, but I I did feel like each director that directed an episode had a little bit of a personal touch on it. Uh, so, sure. So yeah, if I if I had to rephrase it, I'd probably say that. So I, I totally get why you're like, okay, sure. It's not That's really fine. the Mike Flanagan I'm, you know, I'm I'm accustomed to. Yeah. Sure. I feel like this show did a really good job, though, of explaining everything that happened. And evil little boy is not just an evil little boy because, but there's a reason why he is. I did not get emotional in the very last ending. Uh, I liked it. Um, I got, I mean, I got mildly emotional, but I wasn't crying. Uh, but I, I, I'm going to say two more notes about the show, and that'll be it. Um, and the well, I'm talking about this. So. I, the the episode in this show is the second to the last one, the one where you get the backstory on the lady in the lake. That is an excellent episode. It's really good with mythology. It's really good with characters. It's really good with acting. It's really good with kind of world building and explaining things. And frankly, it has some really interesting, like, there's very little dialogue in it because it's almost all narrated. You know, there's some really interesting moments in there, like how it mentions how um, well, it, it, she's the reason why Bly Manor is haunted. Well, it's not really haunted, but why uh, ghosts don't leave Bly Manor. And I thought that was really interesting, and also just kind of the the de de evolution of of people um, was a really interesting concept. Um, I yeah, I loved I loved that. You know, and it's just kind of like stay out of her way. If you stay away, you'll be fine. But they made that make sense. I thought that was I thought that was an excellent episode. Uh, I thought that was great and perfectly acted and had some really intense uh emotions for me in that one yeah i found that episode to be probably the, the most well constructed and probably one of my favorites uh i also like the episode with the uh the housekeeper played by uh, tania miller um i thought her episode was really excellent you kind of had more context of where uh she kind of stood um mm-hmm. as, as far as her character arc and whatnot i don't want to go too much into it in case somebody's going to watch the show um so this is the other point that I wanted to bring up. I thought she was great. And I think that the show does something really special with her character. It does. I'm not going to spoil it, but it does something really incredible that I love when shows can do, especially horror shows can do this the best. Um, and I'm trying to think of examples. Uh, I could think of one really good example, but, but things that can take you in a flashback and show you that something hasn't been the way that you've thought it was the whole time. I think probably still my favorite example, even after seeing Bly Manor, is the very first season of American Horror Story, which I've only seen the first two seasons. I don't plan on going back and watching anymore. Uh, but I would rewatch the first season because I thought season one was good. But there's an there's an episode, it's like episode three or four, where the daughter of the family tries to drown herself in a bathtub. And then you see her coming out and like, you know, she like, ch- like managed to escape or whatnot. It's not until three episodes later that you realize she actually succeeded. She's been a ghost for the last three episodes. And you're just like, that's crazy good. If you're able to get me to be like, hey, that thing that you thought was okay is actually not, or that thing that you thought about the way this world works is actually not, if you can get me to to think that way several episodes into something, then you could be like, oh, 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 okay, yeah, I'm here for that. Yeah, I, I really love that, that first season, and that, I mean, that show has multiple twists, but that was like the one where it was just like, kind of flabbergasted, yep. like you said, I just like, I didn't really... I was paying attention the entire time. I didn't really see it really coming. Because like, they give you no clever. reason to see it coming. Yeah, they give whereas, you no reason. They don't telegraph it. <laughs> whereas whereas the Hanga Bly Manor gives you hints as to what you should think. But 
it's not as drastic of a reveal, but it's a really good reveal. At least, and especially the way they do it and kind of how everything falls into place, you know, with timelines and things like that. Um, yeah, that was the, great. Uh, yeah, just uh, just know the character she plays is uh, Mrs. Gross. Uh, that's the yes. character that she plays. Uh, she was like my favorite character. Uh, in the I like the chef. The chef was my favorite one. Yeah, hard to pick, but yeah, I also I liked all of them though. So see, I'm very I don't know if I'm easy to please as far as like those type of shows go, but I really liked all the characters. I thought they were really well written and, uh, I and really, developed. I really only liked uh, those two. I think that was about well, it. They, I mean, they have a really super dynamic relationship, and those two actors just play so well off each other. It was like yeah. a lot of synergy. <laughs> those two. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, uh, I, I gave The Haunting of Hill House a 10 out of 10 and The Haunting of Bly Manor, I think a 7. Because I think The That's Haunting fair. of Bly Manor, I think it could have been 5 episodes. Uh, I don't it don't, I don't think it needed to be 9. I think you could definitely trim out, especially in the very beginning. I think you could have trimmed out some. But you know, but I think that the like episode 1, 2, and 3 are really not very good. Uh, 4, 5, and 6 are um, pretty good. Uh, or, and, and, uh, and 7, 8, and 9 are all excellent. Yeah, I'd have to agree. If, if I had one complaint about the show, I was like, I feel like it could have been condensed uh, somewhat, yep. even though even though I thoroughly enjoyed it. I think that'd be like the major gripe that I would have with it. And I didn't feel that way about Hill House, like not even a little bit. No, they, they don't. They don't waste any time in that. It's all well spent. Uh, right. They, they're never spinning their wheels, but they also have to deal with thematically. They have to deal with so much since they're doing the whole the grief angle with each one of the characters. So I, I feel like there's a there's a certain amount of time that they have to really pour into that to really make that work and they do a good job of doing that well and i wonder how much this is going to be um reflected in you know potentially uh, you know the third season holding a hill house is based off of a book but it's very different than the source material from my understanding it is a loose adaptation um of it uh especially like with the way they handle characters including number and in including including tone and things like that and just narratively the way they kind of tell the story um whereas Bly Manor is based off of the turn of the screw which is this is the 35th adaptation of that so I wonder how much especially given Flanagan wasn't the director behind everything I wonder how much was kind of handcuffed because because of the source material I heard it was only loosely based off of it too so I think the, even with yeah with this I'm uh, not f- I'm not familiar with the original story. I mean I feel like all, I feel like a lot of the elements in this Haunting of Bly Manor I've I've seen before probably because I've seen an adaptation of the Turning of the Screw. Right. Whether it was a Simpsons Treehouse of Horror or <laughs> yeah uh, or or you know a movie or a miniseries is based I don't we should move on because uh, we got other stuff to talk about. Uh, I'm going to yeah. briefly mention um, I, I watched uh, two episodes of Lovecraft Country, two episodes of Raised by Wolves um because though i'm as soon as i get through those two then i'm gonna do uh fargo um i'm still think just Raised by wolves is just okay um and i really like lovecraft country the haunted house episode episode three i thought was really 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 good i, I need um, to watch the show i guess that's a good reason to get hbo max also so true um, <laughs> yeah i mean gosh i mean there's plenty of shows on hbo max to watch uh, I'm not. I'm not quite ready to recommend Raised by Wolves, but I've been told by Alice and Dicer that they were happy they finished it and are very excited about season two. So I'm going to, I'm going to do that. I don't know if I'll stay on season two though. Um, Lovecraft Country, I'm really enjoying. Uh, I don't know if it's been renewed just yet, but I'm um, I'm really liking it. Uh, let's go. You have a lot of here that I just have no idea about. Uh, so go ahead, start talking for a while. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of these on the list are 
animated or 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 anime i've been during during the lockdown and uh covid i've been watching a lot of anime and kind of like rekindling my relationship with manga and anime uh so i'll just kind of run down some of the ones that i'm currently watching uh jojo's bizarre adventure uh which a lot of uh people know of especially if you're an anime fan or hetero uh i hope they have a second season that's currently on netflix king and ashura which is a kind of fighting kind of shonen anime Baki, which is also a kind of fighting shonen anime. And uh, funny, it kind of inspired the type of shows that King and Ashura is. Space Dandy, I uh, really got into One Piece. Uh, One Piece is probably one of the most famous anime of all time that Americans don't really know about for some reason, or it didn't do well here. Uh, I think it had a terrible American adaptation. That's why it didn't do well here. Uh, and the, the one I highly recommend, I think a lot of people will enjoy, even if you're not an anime fan, is Vinland Saga which is based off of Vikings during during the point in time where they were taking over England. And uh, See, that sounds like an anime that I would watch. I'm, thought, not a, I'm not a big anime fan. I think you'd really enjoy it. It has a lot of aspects that are related to other type of like fantasy shows, like, sure. uh, like uh, Game of Thrones, if you're into the, the type of political intrigue tied in with your, um, with your kind of medieval fantasy. Uh, it's definitely um, right up your alley. Yeah, another show I enjoyed was Promise Neverland and uh, Megalobox, uh, which are both, which a lot of these are on uh, Netflix. Uh, okay. Check them out. Is Vinland Saga? Vinland Saga is actually buried on uh, Amazon. Amazon's probably the worst place to put anime because it usually just gets lost in the shuffle. <laughs> but well, it's all there. Yeah. I mean, if you said if one to watch is Vinland Saga, then, and I said that's kind of the one I'd be interested in, then that's the only one I'll add to my list. <laughs> And, yeah, and then I'll you'll know, probably come back to the others. Yeah, I, I'd like to see what you think about Vinland Saga. Like, I just I, it's probably one of my favorite animes I've seen uh, in okay. a long time. Besides One Piece, I I have also been watching an anime. I've been watching uh, the Transformers War for Cybertron trilogy on Netflix. I, I didn't grow up with the cartoons. You know, no, I've seen the first four of the live action movies, uh, and I really <laughs> like. I really love one and three, and I think four is just total trash, and I think two is just okay. Uh, really low side of just okay, but I think it's probably better than most people think it is. Uh, so that's kind of what I grew up. But I but I love the War for Cybertron and Fall of Cybertron games. I think those two are excellent. The what, what Netflix is doing with this is um, they're releasing three parts. Or three like trilogies. It's, it's six episodes each. They just released the first part, and then they'll release a second part at some point. They'll release the third part at another point. And uh, I've only seen the first three episodes, but I really like this, uh, especially if you're unfamiliar with the Cybertron story. Because again, I didn't grow up with the cartoon. This is very similar to the, uh, the War for Cybertron video game. I love that video game, so I I like this show. Yeah, the War of Cybertron games. I heard they're like some of the best Transformer games you'll probably ever play. Like those are like, they, they are big. for sure. <laughs> they, they are for sure the best, th- those two specifically. I think there was a different studio that tried to make like a sequel called rise of the dark spark, but nobody liked it. It was different animations. War for Cybertron and fall for fall of Cybertron for sure are excellent. And so check out war for Cybertron on Netflix. What else are you watching? Uh, yeah, as far as like live action goes, kind of shows and movies I was watching. Uh, I, I definitely was watching The Boys. Uh, I didn't think it was as good as the first season, but it was definitely really great, though. I actually thought it was a solid watch. Yeah, uh, I talked about The Boys last time. I, I agree. It wasn't quite as good as the first one. I still really liked it. Um, although I liked certain characters. Um, I, I think Maeve was a nothing character in season one, and I really loved her in season two. She had a lot of personality this time around. 
Yeah. And she, you know, is, is the character that I'm most looking forward to seeing how she progresses in the future. Yeah. And she was also a good Deus Ex Machina to get out of situations. Oh yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Pretty much uh, wraps up what I've been watching. Like I said, just been okay. watching a lot of anime. Uh, I mean, I would say Russian Doll, but I watch Russian Doll every so often. And I'm sure we're going to talk about it later. <laughs> All, right. All right. I was I was wondering. I was like, but but I know you wanted to talk about that. Cool. Um, I'm going to briefly mention. Uh, I've been doing my Scrubs rewatch. Um, I watched all of season seven, and I'm halfway through season eight. Uh, the other two things I've been watching is uh, I wa- I've been keeping up on this season of This Is Us because I love that show, um, and I really like what they're doing this season. Uh, it's you know it's still managing to hit me with those. Like I never thought this is, this show is a perfect example of what we were talking about with haunting a blind manor where you're just like, Oh, this thing that you haven't thought they're on season five. Now this thing that you haven't thought about in four seasons or didn't think it would be possible in four seasons. Guess what? Like there was a big thing in season two where, you know, the dad of this family, you don't really know much about his like uh, childhood, but you never really think about his childhood for a while. All you know is he was a Vietnam war vet and, eventually met the mother and they got married and all that and you know he's an alcoholic and he has a bad relationship with his dad but like at the end of season two they're like oh yeah and he has a younger brother and you're like i didn't think about that like (laughs) uh so season three and four focus a lot on the younger brother it's just like okay cool um so they just continually do a lot of stuff like that i it's so it's a it's a soap opera but i love it uh and i talked to ben a little bit more about that last week i've only seen the first three episodes because that's all i've been out and i started watching atlanta's lost and missing murdered children it's a docu-series on HBO about uh, something like uh, 30-some kids went missing in a couple-year span uh, in Atlanta in the 80s. And this is a docu-series kind of chronologic, uh, documenting that. I think the, the third season of True Detective is loosely based off of this. And I think these came out about the same time. So this is what I've been watching as I go to the gym. I've only seen the first episode. I really like it. Uh, I'm definitely going to keep going. I'm going to just quickly breeze through the uh, shows I keep up on a week-to-week basis because I've mentioned them all a lot. Um, when when America's Got Talent is on, I watch that. Uh, the Boys, Last Week Tonight with John Oliver. Also, he's been killing it recently. Um, yeah. uh, Chef Show, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, Barry, Jack Ryan, What We Do in the Shadows, Westworld, Black Mirror, Mindhunter, Atypical, Documentary Now, Mandalorian, F is for Family, and This Is Us. The only ones that I'm not caught up with are F is for Family and Chef Show. Um, but because those are Netflix, they just get released in clumps. You know, sometimes it takes me a while to get up to it, but you know, I'm more likely to just, you know, turn on episodes for family, probably as soon as I'm done with scrubs. What do you keep up on a week to week basis? What are your shows that are, that are like that? The British baking show. Uh, my wife and I really enjoy that. Uh, it's so wholesome and like just different from all other reality TV shows. And you can't even really call it a reality TV show because it's just so different. Um, it feels more authentic. I haven't seen that one, but my I watched Nailed It when my wife is watching it because I think that one's just fun. Nailed It is a lot of fun. That is also one that we uh, that we watched. Thanks for reminding me of that. It's just a lot of fun. It's it's corny, but it's like it, it's a wink and a nod. It knows what it is, and, and it's fun. Um, th- we talked about The Boys. We talked about The Mandalorian, of course. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I talked about One Piece, but the thing the thing that's funny about One Piece it's such a huge commitment because there's literally like over 900 episodes. Uh, so Ooh. you can see why. You see why I haven't watched much of anything else uh, in comparison uh, to you and your queue because it's just such a huge commitment. Like once you start watching, you just have to you just have to keep going. <laughs> well, but I've also been like, you know, I've only seen a couple episodes of each of these really, and you know, I've also like going to the gym has been helpful because I just you know download something. Anything else? Oh, also uh, unsolved mysteries. Um, 
since it came on Netflix, uh, it kind of brings back the spirit of the original original show that would was uh, in syndication uh, years ago. I think maybe over a decade ago. But uh, I don't know if it'd be up your alley because it is kind of ominous and uh, kind of horrific at times. Trying to well, explain. but I like but I like true crime stuff. You might you might like this then. Uh, I think I have it on my queue. So I would uh, give it a watch. There's a particular episode I I don't want to ruin it, it, but it was it was super emotional. I just I couldn't like. I just couldn't deal with it. Yeah, and it was it was just a little too real as, okay. as far as like the human experience goes and like dealing with tragedy. But yeah, I highly recommend that show if you're into true crime, uh, as you said. Uh, I mean, I can only watch so much, but yes, I like I like true, <laughs> true, I like true crime docu series uh, or something like Zodiac, where it's done really well. Oh, Zodiac is an excellent film. Uh, don't don't get me started on Fincher. We kind of that could be like a whole different side discussion just talking about his films. Besides Alien 3, <laughs> which I don't think he likes to talk about either. So Sure. Right. Cool. Uh, what shows are on your queue? What's next for you? Uh, shows on a queue. Uh, you know, I've watched a few episodes of The Marvelous uh, Mrs. Maisel, and I don't know why I haven't like fully committed to the show. I just don't know if it's a show that my uh, my wife would enjoy. Uh, I'm sure she would. Um, but that's a movie that's a uh, show that's definitely on my list. Uh, also, Shit's Creek. I've heard nothing but good things about it. Everyone keeps highly recommending it. Uh, and I can kind of use, everyone can kind of use like a good laugh nowadays, especially during uh, lockdown and COVID. Uh, so yeah, those are two shows uh, really that are on my queue right now. Uh, this was a, this was a really interesting, my experience with Shit's Creek is that I was at a friend's house and they had heard good things about it. And so they put it on and then they left the room and just season one just went. As, as there, they didn't come back so it's just me and my friend that were just too lazy to get up or change it and we're like this is okay i don't love it it's okay i don't i don't hate it enough to get up and, and change That's hilarious. it it's too lazy uh, to get up yeah i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna go back to it uh, at some point uh and i've already mentioned watchmen is my favorite tv show of all time what's yours uh you, you know watchmen is a, a terrific show it's actually my favorite show to come out last year uh, i thought i thought it was beautifully done just everything about it. And plus it, it was just so in line with the actual comic and the source material. Um, I don't know why more people didn't really get that. Maybe they didn't read the comic book to really get the full effect. Cause I guess like a lot of people thought it was, had, was very politically slanted a certain way, but that's always how that comic was written. Uh, and was, uh, yeah, just to get up, sorry to get off tangent. Uh, but yeah, my favorite show uh, would have to be hands down breaking bad. Uh, I think it has one of the most interesting lead characters in any show I've ever seen. Walter White is very dynamic and kind of like morally. He's not even morally gray. He's like the darkest gray you can think of without being okay. completely black. He's just, he's this person that you first meet and he's like super meek. But then like the layers that you pull back, you're like he was always this person. And it only took one situation to kind of like push him over the edge to give him the excuse to do terrible things that have such a huge domino effect it's a show that i revisit pretty often and has like one of my favorite episodes in tv and ozymandias like it's just a a beautifully constructed cinematography wise writing acting just about every level It, it it fires on all cylinders for me yeah i know i'm in the minority but i don't like that show very much oh no i think it's just okay i think it's fine all right what's one hot take you have for tv hot take for tv um yeah, I, there's a lot of friends, a lot of people who probably hate me for this, uh, but I think The Witcher is a terrible show. I think overall, it's not a very well-constructed show. It has a lead character that is like has much, as much charisma as like a plank of wood, 
Uh, unless you're into the actual source material, whether it be the book or the games, I don't really recommend watching the show. Um, I feel like Geralt, the main character, um, as a person is like that hot guy at a party who's acting like he's mysterious and that he has all these uh, things going for him. But as soon as you talk to him, he has really nothing to say and he has nothing of importance to to really bring to the table. Um, and that's how I kind of feel about his character and the, sub- the sequential characters in, in this entire show. I just, it's typical fantasy, feels like it was written by a 15-year-old. No real depth to it. Um, people were calling it the Game of Thrones killer, which not even, it couldn't even kill the eighth season. And the eighth season is not a very good uh, good indication about how good this show is because the eighth season of Game of Thrones is uh, not very good. I mean, here's the, least. <laughs> I mean, here's the thing: Barry was the Game of Thrones killer. I've never seen. I've always I've heard nothing but good things about Barry. Uh, it was always on right after Game of Thrones. Uh, <laughs> and Barry season two was excellent. So, yeah, my uh, my friend Jordan, uh, who who also has a podcast and is a movie lover. Uh, Always highly recommended it to me. So that's a when you get a show. When you get a film, make Barry like one of the first shows you watch. Uh, we'll do. I love Bill Hader too. I think he's he's terrific. So he's yeah, he's top five. My favorite people in Hollywood. Nice. Um, my hot take is that there is a one week rule for weekly airing television in public places. Um, so Twitter, Facebook, things like that. Uh, even this podcast, uh, which I typically say like one month. By manners, just too soon enough to talk spoilers yeah there's a one week rule so like when the mandalorian premieres on friday when the next episode premieres you should be able to freely talk about the first episode that's my rule i don't so i think when episode two of the mandalorian came out i don't think that anybody can be faulted for um saying something you know showing a picture of the child and mentioning the child and things Mm. like that You've had a week to watch it. Episode two is out now. You've had your time. You've had enough time. Now, this rule gets a little complicated because, you know, things like, uh, you know, like Stranger Things that just gets gets dumped. Probably a little bit longer for something like that. How about we'll take however many episodes there are, divide that by half. And that's so if there's eight episodes of Stranger Things, you get four weeks with no spoilers. But, uh, you know, I'm not saying you can't talk about little things. Like, oh, Timothy, Timothy Oliphant was really good in this episode of Mando. But, you know, don't say anything else about the character. Don't say you know, any surprise characters that come up in the Mandalorian. So um, there should be a one week rule. And the worst offender of all is the actual show's Facebook pages. I don't follow any shows on, yeah. on Facebook. <laughs> I know there's a, I mean, I don't know walking dead had a big fiasco because when Carol died, they posted something before it aired on the West coast. And so people that hadn't seen the show yet, they were like, what the hell guys? Like only East coast people have seen it. You just told us uh, there's anyway, um, you have one for a weekly airing show, you have one week and then you should be able to talk about it for free. Also for movies, uh, it should be, um, one week after the home release day, you should be able to, uh, to say anything freely. Uh, but you know, you shouldn't talk about things that are spoiler before then. It's probably a hot take just cause people feel like, Oh, it's out. So I can talk about it. Nope. No, you can't. No, I, I feel the same way. Like keep that stuff close to the best. Don't ruin it for other people. Well, and some people might say, wait until the season is over. But if it's a weekly airy TV show, you have until the next episode comes out. Right. Totally. Totally get it. I respect that. Cool. All right. You ready to move on to the B-plot? Anything else you want to say about TV? Oh, yeah. Another hot take. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay. I, I, uh, I hate Friends. I think it's a terrible show. Now, is this? Did you watch it while it was airing? Or have you only like seen it once it came on Netflix? Oh, I watched it while it was airing. But I only watched episodes here and there. And I was like, 
I don't think any of this is really funny. And I think everything that they do here, Seinfeld does much better. Okay. Like it, it, it takes that, it takes like terrible people living together and like having like random conversations to a higher level. And I feel like it, it's always sunny, even takes that further. <laughs> I really like Friends. I don't love it. I really like Friends. I don't like Seinfeld, but I really love uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm, which is weird because they're, you know, the same way. It, it is funny. <laughs> but I think It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia is one of the best shows. Besides the first season. The first season, I think they were trying to find their footing. Okay. It's not great, but it's good. It's like what, uh, what Star Trek fans would say about Next Generation, like kind of growing the beard. It's like sure. getting getting the Danny DeVito. Once you have Danny DeVito in there, I feel like there's a whole different like aspect of it. Like we can yep. literally do everything, anything we want to, because we have a millionaire, so we can do the <laughs> most outrageous things possible, and it will just be completely believable. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you know, it's same thing with Parks and Rec. Like you know, first season is not that great, you know, but then they realize you subtract a Mark Brandanowitz and you add a Ben Wyatt and a Chris Traeger. Like, there you go. There's your formula. Just, just figuring out the formula. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, let's move on to the B-plot then. Um, what are your favorite film and TV scores of all time? Now, I'm going to limit five. You can't have more than one of the same composers. So if you want to pick, uh, let's say, for example, if you want to pick John Williams for Star Wars, then you also can't pick John Williams for Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, now, I am going to say, man, let's not talk about the obvious. I mean, Schindler's List, Star Wars, Harry Potter, Indiana Jones, Jaws. 007, Superman, Jurassic Park, Superman again, apparently. <laughs> um, <laughs> Back to the Future, Forrest Gump. Uh, you know, like the really, really, really popular, like right. most, most famous. I mean, like, like think God's like a little bit outside the box. Um, what are, I think even like Inception and Interstellar fall in that category. What are some of your uh, favorite scores of all time? Oh, uh, yeah, I think I'll start off with, uh, this is a movie that actually falls in my top 10. Uh, if anybody knows me, even a smidge, they know that I'm, a huge Captain America fan, uh, both comics, movie, any type of media, period. He's like my favorite character, period, in all of media. Uh, so Captain America, the Winter Soldier, Henry Jackman's score uh, to me is like out of this world. Like it is perfect for that film. Here's a hot take for a film. I actually think Captain America, uh, the Winter Soldier is a better film than The Dark Knight. You, you could at me all you want. It's not going to change my opinion about that. I just think overall it's a better film. But uh, that's besides the point. I just think that score is just excellent. It's something oh. I work to, I listen to when I work out. Uh, I could listen to anytime. Yeah, I think that score is really good too. I think if I have to single out a one, uh, an MCU film, it would be Guardians though. Great Let's see. I'm, I'm going to start with The Pacific. This is a HBO miniseries. This is my Hans Zimmer pick because, I mean, I could say Gladiator. I could say Pirates. I could say Interstellar Inception, Thin Red Line. I could say one of a million different scores. Uh, but there's two reasons I picked this. Uh, number one is I think there's something really special about this score. It really feels genuine. Uh, it feels World War II era. It feels, I mean, this feels and sounds like a score, like when I pop in like Medal of Honor on PS2. Like this feels like that. This feels authentic and real. And the other thing is there is no other Zimmer score like it. You can listen to Gladiator and Pirates back to back and there are so many similar beats. You can listen to Thin Red Line and Inception back to back, and it's very similar. It's the most annoying thing about Zimmer. He's he's excellent, but so many of his scores he reduces, reuses, and recycles. Similar to how Interstellar was unlike anything he's ever done, and Blade Runner 2049 was unlike anything he'd ever done. Uh, the Pacific is unlike anything he's ever done, and it's excellent. Nice, yeah. I, I also found that score to be, be terrific. Um, yeah, going to next one, uh, another film of mine, 
uh, like on my top 10 of all time, uh, Conan the Barbarian. Uh, Basil Peladoris really just knocks it out of the park uh, with the score. It might even, in my opinion, be his best score. He just does the high fantasy aspect so well. And for the longest time, before we had Lord of the Rings, Conan the Barbarian was the, the greatest kind of like high fantasy type film we had ever seen on screen. And, it, and the thing that's also terrific about it, and I'll, uh, I guess I'll pick on The Witcher some more, even though Arnold Schwarzenegger only has 20 lines in that entire movie, he has more charisma and character than Geralt does in all the all those episodes. Uh, so <laughs> that, that tells you a lot about that show. Uh, but by digress, um, Basil, Basil Peladoris does a great job. Everything about this score hits on all notes. It pounds to your chest. It fires you up. It's, uh, it's just a great score overall. Now, I'm going to change what you see on your sheet kind of a little bit. Um, I'm going to go ahead and move. I have The Incredibles with Michael Caccino here listed. I'm going to move that into a let's get the obvious out of the way. I mean, obviously, The Incredibles. And I'm going to simply replace it with Manchester by the Sea, Leslie Parber. This is excellent. Uh, it really fits the tone of what the movie is going for. It's beautiful. It's almost all chorale, uh, at least like the main parts. Um, and it, it fits... Uh, it, it fits the tone of the movie really well, um, and it's it's just beautiful. I love it. Yeah, also, just a, uh, I think it, it's a beautiful film, but I think I'll only watch it once. I don't think I need to watch it again, just because it was yeah. just so... Uh, it's one of those films you maybe watch one every three or four years. Yep. Yeah, the, the next one on my list is uh, John Carpenter and his score. I could probably throw a rock and hit a John Carpenter score that I would love. I love some music. <laughs> uh, but I chose, I chose Halloween, uh, just that iconic theme. I almost put this on the untouchables list. Um, I just think I forgot to, um, I, cause I think I was going to put this in psycho up there with like, <laughs> um, yeah. but yeah, I didn't. So fair game. Yep. This is excellent. Uh, I'm going to move on to the shape of water by Alexandra Desplat. This, uh, is maybe my favorite film score of all time. Maybe, um, it's very unique. It, it's, uh, it's delightful and charming. It's very light. Um, it, it kind of captures that uh, uh, that feeling that Guillermo del Toro is going for. Um, I could listen to it itself. I love listening to it in the movie. Yeah, I agree. Just that, that film overall, I, I really loved it. Uh, the score is very whimsical and and has that very uh, fairy tale vibe. So yeah, I well, it's got that like that. flute and xylophone combination that I love it. It's charming. It was like whimsical, but a period piece at the same time. Like it was very, uh, yeah, it was very interesting and well done. Yeah, uh, my next one on the list is uh, Cliff Martinez and his score that he did for Drive. Uh, you're going to see a theme here. A lot of these uh, scores that are popping up are also some of my favorite films of all time. Drive is also in my top ten. Uh, some people may not think you know think that highly of it, but I actually really enjoy Drive, and I think a large part of it is because Cliff Martinez's score is kind of grimy and kind of like reminds you of like LA and, and the type of feeling that it, that it invokes. Um, and it's also very synth heavy and also I think brought back a reemergence of synth wave in general. With yeah, its score. yeah. I'm a big fan of Cliff Martinez in general, but I thought his score on drive was just, uh, was phenomenal. I re- recently rewatched drive because I talked about Gosling's filmography on uh, Robert's podcast this week. So or released last week. So yeah. Um, I have thoughts about Drive. Uh, I I don't love it. I think it's okay. But if you want to hear more on that, you can listen to Robert's podcast. I'm going to go with uh, one kind of out of left field here. I'm bringing it back to the Saw franchise. I think the Saw score is uh, is excellent. I think 
part of the reason why I love this this franchise specifically uh, is because of, I mean, first of all, it's creative at the very least, like the traps and whatnot. But I think that this is a horror franchise that actually tries to do something with philosophy. And I appreciate that. Sometimes it doesn't work. Uh, I think Saw 4 and 5 are borderline terrible movies. Uh, <laughs> it's not past the border. Saw 6 is better. Uh, Saw 6 is okay. Um, I think Saw the final chapter is okay. Jigsaw is okay. Uh, I love the first three Saw movies. And I think that the score, that iconic, you know, one, especially like it always plays at the end of the movie as their villains revealing everything. Yeah. It's so good. <laughs> it is so good. Um, I love the score. Yeah, that's a, that's a great score. I'm not so in love with, with Saw. Uh, I, I think I only generally like the first film. And I do like, uh, I do like what they do at the, with the end of the series. I thought that was a very, uh, very smart and intelligent move to make uh, as far mm-hmm. as keeping those movies cohesive. But yeah, to, uh, to go back to my list, uh, I'd have to say James Horner's score for Aliens. Uh, there it is. Uh, Aliens is like one of my favorite films of all time. Like I said, you're going to see a running theme here as far as scores go. But it just has, it hits all those beats of both being horror and it also has like these uh, militaristic kind of overtures um, that really fits with the overall theme of the film. And it makes it feel more punchy and more action-like in comparison to its its. Uh, predecessor alien yeah uh quick question aside uh aliens or t2 that's That's cameron movie yeah that's rough since i since i grew up loving t2 i'll have to put t2 above it um just because i grew up with it but i think my appreciation for for aliens is higher now Uh, um i've probably seen aliens more times now than i have seen premiere two at this point in time I've just been seeing this go around on Facebook uh, recently. You know, favorite movie by Zemeckis, Spielberg, and Cameron. And like, first of all, everybody's favorite movie by Zemeckis has to be Back to the Future, or you're wrong. <laughs> um, and then, uh, and then Spielberg. I mean, uh, there's several answers you could go with. I, I went with Saving Private Ryan. And for Cameron, yeah, I mean, it's either Aliens or T2. And uh, I picked Aliens uh, because I grew up with T2 as well, but. I I think Aliens is the better movie. Oh, you mean your favorite Zemeckis film is not Polar Express? It's like the best. <laughs> uh, the, only, the only one that could be in contention would be um, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. But yeah, no, Back to the Future is an excellent movie. Yeah, I'd say Back to the Future is the best film. Yep. Uh, all right, my last film score. This is uh, again maybe out of left field. I think this is a perfect film score. It's Pacific Rim by primarily Raymond Jawadi, most notably of Game of Thrones and Westworld, and uh, Tom Morello of Rage Against the Machine, <laughs> which is an interesting combo, and I love the crap out of it. Uh, I think the main theme gets me going. Uh, this is the definition of like you know if I was going to go work out and put on some music and wanted some like instrumental stuff to get me pumped up, I'd put on the Pacific Rim score. It it, it perfectly fits that vibe of like dark and fun. Uh, that Pacific Rim, the original, had. I mean, it's no secret that I really, really, really love that the original movie. And uh, the score is, again, a big reason why. Uh, I, too, share a, a, a strong uh, bond or love for the first Pacific Rim. It was like a living, breathing, live-action anime that like channeled everything great about mecha anime and kaiju films. And mm. then the second film happened. <laughs> the less we talk I, about the better <laughs> unless you i think the second film's high side okay i like it less each time i see it but i still like watching it i almost picked westworld um because raymond jawadi does some excellent stuff in that but because we're only allowed to pick one composer i gotta give it to pacific rim all right here's the, here's the side question that i was thinking of we, we were talking about uh jorgensen doing the mandalorian score who is a any film director that you want to see score a a Star Wars film because John Williams is done. He's done the nine. He's done. 
Uh, personally, my favorite film score in the Star Wars franchise is the Rogue One score. I think Giacchino does something really special with that. Uh, it's probably a hot take. I think Giacchino's score for Rogue One is better than any of Williams' score for Star Wars. Although, obviously, Giacchino's wouldn't be what it is without Williams. Uh, and I can't remember who did Solo, but nothing about Solo is special. Uh, yeah, I feel the same way. I'm not, I'm not a huge Solo except, fan. Except for Donald Glover. Yeah, I thought he was actually excellent in it, but everything else about that film, I was like, this is oh, a mediocre John film. John Williams did. Okay. <laughs> well, that's kind of sad. Yeah, it's kind of sad. So, uh, so, so Jorgensen, uh, William, um, Giacchino, and uh, Williams are all off the table. Um, and this could be, and if you could pick a pick an upcoming property that you want them to do too. Um, so whether it's the uh, very rumored, very heavily rumored Boba Fett series, or whether it's the new female led. Uh, Star Wars series, uh, or or if it's going to be the new Taika Waititi movie, or the Kevin Feige produced one, or Ryan Johnson's trilogy. If you could kind of, because Taika Waititi's tone is going to be very different than the Ryan Johnson one. So, so yeah, if you could kind of also place it, uh, who would you love to see do a Star Wars score? Let's see. I would probably say uh, Henry Jackman. Uh, he's he, like he's on the list already as far as like one of my favorite composers. I think he's really good at channeling different sounds. Um, like I said, he's done like X-Men. He's done, uh, I mean, X-Men first class. He's done Captain, he's done several of the Captain America films. I'm trying to think some other films at the top of my head. Digimonji, which is, <laughs> which is, uh, which is interesting. Uh, I think he's just really dynamic and I just love every bit of his scores. So yeah, if I had to choose somebody, I'd probably pick Henry Jackman since he's, he's, uh, pretty much a chameleon and also has just a great sound overall. He also did the Pokemon movie, and I really like the score in the Pokemon movie also. My favorite Jackman score is the Kingsman, the Golden Circle. Oh, it's such a good one. (laughs) My heart wants to say Raymond Jawadi doing any of them, but my official answer is going to be Alexandra Desplat doing Taika Waititi's movie. Because I imagine that light and fluffy and whimsical, and I'm getting like Jojo Rabbit vibes, um, which I know Giacchino did Jojo Rabbit, but I'm getting like those those light whimsical, and you know, obviously Taika is going to make a Taika Star Wars movie. He's not going to make yeah. you know a J.J. Abrams Star Wars movie, and I think that that could be a fun combination because Desplat can do light and whimsical, and he can do serious. Um, that's going to be the combination I want to see. Yeah, I think I think that's very in line with Taika's style too. Like he's able to tackle the serious, but he's also you know majority is yeah. like funny. Cool. Well. uh we're finally here with the spinoff. What is that one thing in pop culture that you want to tell everybody to either watch or to avoid? Uh, we already touched upon it. If you're going to avoid something, uh, avoid the Witcher. Uh, I can't say any more uh, poor things about it. Just don't think it's very good. But as far as like, uh, like watching it, I highly recommend, uh, I can't recommend Russian doll more enough. Uh, it, it's so genre defining and genre bending. So rich in its, uh, in its themes. Um, it has something to say and it's, it, it does it well. Leon is like, she's just terrific in it. She's pretty much playing herself, but I just, I don't really care. <laughs> she's just so sure. good at playing that type of character. She's funny and she's charming, um, sarcastic. So yeah, if I had to recommend one show to, uh, to watch and, or something from pop culture, be Russian doll. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good show. I loved it. Uh, I'm going to recommend a movie uh, that I have been wanting to watch for uh, two or three months ever since Robert and I talked about Alfred Hitchcock's Rope. Uh, I watched Compulsion. Compulsion is uh, the real-life killings of Leopold and Loeb, um, who were in Chicago in the um, early 1900s, who were upper class and decided to kill a lower class person simply because they could, and they saw themselves as inferior. And uh, Compulsion is the story 
kind of of that. So what I'd really recommend is you need you should know the story before going into this movie. Uh, and when this movie released, people were still familiar with the story. I mean, this was 15, 10, 15 years after that. Um, and so, and that was a big deal back in the day. Uh, still should be, rightfully so. So w- do your Wikipedia research on Leopold and Loeb. It's fascinating um, to read. It's, you know, it gets a little dark. So, you know, be prepared for that. Uh, but what this movie, what I expected this movie to do was to be kind of show you what happens in the court case following. What this movie actually does is show you the moment that uh, Leopold and Loeb decide to do this thing together, uh, that they can, that they're going to be psychopaths together. And then... Um, <laughs> to be best buddies, best killing buddies. Yeah. And, then it kind of, <laughs> and then it kind of does a time jump into the day after the body of uh, Bobby Franks, I guess the name of the guy that they murdered, uh, the day after his Bobby, his body is found. And then so it's a lot of, you know, it's probably like an hour of them alluding, like questioning and trying to like get suspicion off of them because there's several things that happen that make it pretty easy to point to them. They were not that, that smart in actually executing things. The real reason why you need to watch this movie is because top billing on this movie is Orson Welles, even though he doesn't show up in the movie until I'm pretty sure an hour and a half of this two hour movie. He just takes over that last half hour and he's excellent because he plays their defense attorney. And there's the last 10 minutes of this movie is, is, a, is his final plea, his final speech. And they enter a plea of, of, uh, of guilty. And, you know, he's just begging and pleading. He's like, these kids did wrong. Show them mercy. Don't hang them. Like, that's not what the world needs. And it's, it's really something special. So if you want to just, you know, YouTube the Orson Welles part. But honestly, this whole movie is really good. It's worth watching. The the special thing is Orson Welles' speech at, at the very end. Oh, yeah. My, my, uh, my have to catch that. Like I said, my wife is very into uh, kind of procedurals and, 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 you know, things based off of murder. <laughs> so, so yeah, this, uh, that might be something right up our alley. Uh, 1959 movie, by the way. Uh, you can only stream it on DirecTV. But you can rent it for four bucks on apple google play youtube fandango now voodoo uh or you can buy it on apple tv google play youtube fandango now voodoo microsoft or direct tv those 13 bucks for high definition so a little bit less than what i thought i think i paid like 20 for a blu-ray because i don't think it was available on digital or it was expensive (laughs) anyway I would check, check that movie out. And uh, on that note, that's a wrap. Quick reminder that Pop Writers Room is part of the Studio DNA Network. You can check out other great shows at studiodna.media or by searching Studio DNA in your podcast player. If you're interested in writing for SifPop.com or want to get in contact with us, maybe send us a question to explore during the B-plot, you can email us at writersroom at SifPop.com. And if you want to support the show, help out with some costs that we pay for out of pockets, uh, such as fees, equipment, and rentals, you can Venmo me at Schweikastle. Or you can email me and I'll give you a PayPal address link. And please don't forget to leave us a review if you're listening on Apple Podcasts. It helps out the show more than you will ever possibly know. Uh, go ahead and search Schweik Castle on Letterboxd or on Twitter. Uh, and that's how you can find me and connect with me. But Joe, where can people uh, find you, connect uh, with you, and uh, just kind of geek out on why you think Drive is a good movie? <laughs> yeah, if you want to talk about movies or, or anything else, uh, you could follow me or um, have me at uh, the Star Spinkle Adventure on Instagram. Um, there I post uh, movie reviews and uh, some of our articles that we write for the best ever challenges um, on Sith Pop. Uh, and I highly recommend that you read our articles every week. Uh, they're super entertaining and uh, very eclectic. Uh, so, yeah, that's where you can follow me. Cool. 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, while you're plugging slippop.com stuff, you know, remember that it's not just best ever challenges that we do, but there's some really cool stuff happening with Robert writing on the contrary and uh, Reed writing the uh, 20th Century Flicks, plus all the movie reviews that Shane writes and yeah. you know, some, some other people too. So really good stuff there. Hey, uh, Joe, it's been great having you on. Uh, it's been just a pleasure getting to know you, getting to talk movies with you for a while. Oh, it's great. I'm, I'm always up for talking about movies. It's been a pleasure. Cool. Yeah. Well, we'll have to do it again next year. Uh, and, uh, sometime, you know, next year and, uh, uh, you know, rotating schedule of writers, but, uh, we'll have to do it again sometime next week. I'm talking, uh, Citizen Kane and Goldfinger with Robert, uh, next month talking about TV. I have Vincent on, so that should be fun. Uh, but you know, in the meantime, we got to get back to the writer's room. Mm-hmm.